The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. While our kids are heading out, let me just uh, say we sing those songs. Um, Am I on? You hear me? Uh, We sing those songs where the gospel is central um, for a reason. Because we want to highlight our need for the gospel, both... uh, when we are dead in our sins, and then after we've been made alive through the gospel, we still need the gospel on, on an everyday basis. That's why we sing, Jesus, make my heart believe these things daily. And uh, we have the privilege of hearing this morning from someone who I know is the, focused like a laser on the gospel. The, the gospel is central to everything that, that, uh, that Jerry uh, McCorkle uh, is striving to do for God's kingdom, and uh, we have the privilege of hearing from Jerry this morning. I met Jerry uh, through the Nolans, and we were already kind of familiar with uh, your work at Spread Truth, uh, but um, got to have coffee with you, and uh, just a privilege for us to, to have you here with us this morning. Uh, Jerry has over 30 years in ministry. Uh, he serves as the executive director of Spread Truth Ministries. If you're familiar with those little story booklets, that we have referred you to and, and given to you. Uh, that's one of the things that Spread Truth has created. And uh, Jerry is uh, directly serving over, over that. Uh, he, uh, let me just read this for you. Jerry champions spread the, the mission of Spread Truth through deep study and research on the global spiritual landscape. Uh, by God's wisdom and guidance, Jerry has conceptualized... Um, has conceptualized and created groundbreaking resources for Christians to use anywhere and everywhere around the world, which have changed countless lives. Uh, He's a gifted evangelist and compelling storyteller with a passion for sharing the gospel. Uh, Now, Jerry has connections here in the upstate. He has family that lives here, uh, but he lives with his wife of 36 years uh, in uh, in Illinois, and uh, they have Uh, three grown children and three grandchildren, and uh, he's going to share with you some things today about what he's doing on the global landscape, and uh, we're excited about this. Even this morning, we were able to to take one of those resources and uh, and give that, put that into the hands of someone uh, in our congregation uh, for a specific reason, and so, Jerry, we're so glad to have you. You come and and, uh, share as God leads. Uh, first of all, my family's here, my wife and uh, two of my children and uh, his, uh, my son's wife and, and a couple of grandkids, and so they're in the back back there, so you get a chance to say hello to them. Uh, just on this first slide to spread truth, this is going to be a, a little bit of history of how it began. Uh, it was back in 1994 when I was a college and career pastor in Normal, Illinois. I know it's kind of a crazy name, Normal, Illinois that I decided what I would do is from this college and career department, I would take about 23 students to New York City, train them to share their faith, defend their faith, put them in the greatest international city in the world, and uh, kind of have a boot camp for them for a week. And so it went well. I said, it went so well, I said, let's do it again the next year. And we did it the next year. Uh, and after a couple of years, some of the older people in the congregation wanted to go on the trip and do it also. And what we would basically do is just go into parks and kind of ask religious questions, engage people in conversation. And uh, people wanted to do that. And so um, we said, sure, we're not exclusive to just college students. And so the trip began to grow. And then other churches heard about it. And uh, so we decided, hey, listen, maybe what we should do is that I would stay as college and career pastor, but let's make our own 501c3 organization so other churches would feel the freedom to come on our mission trip. And when that happened, it continued to grow, and uh, churches from down south here and the Midwest from all over the country uh, began to come on it. And it changed over the years. We still do the street evangelism with the worldview questions, but now we've expanded it into basketball and soccer camps, if that's where your heartbeat is. We do those all over the city and also help administrate the BBS at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. So there's just three different tracks that you can choose from. And we just got back uh, just a couple of weeks ago with 380 people from all over the nation. We've been doing it now for uh, 23 years. And so um, something that you might want to consider. Well, after 
13 years in 2006, and we were kind of doing both, I decided that I would step down as the college and career pastor and now direct this ministry full-time. And at that time, we were doing more than just New York City, so I thought we needed the name change. And so we changed the name to Spread Truth. And um, what was interesting is, is at that same time, I happened to hear a message by Dr. John Piper. Uh, I'm sorry, at John Piper's conference, it was Dr. Tim Keller that was speaking. He said, uh, the way we share the gospel is going to have to change, he said, because people had changed. He says, it used to be in America, there was a, what we call a Christ-hauntedness. And that meant that there were people who kind of had a basic understanding of the scriptures, basic storyline of the Bible. And he says, you could come along with your normal evangelism programs and bullet points and share it with them, and they could connect the dots. And uh, you could share it with them. He says, but that group of people that kind of had that basic understanding of the Bible is shrinking in America. So we're going to have to come up with something that covers the plot line of the Bible, that kind of widens the angle that tells them about creation and how the world began, that tells them how sin entered into the world and how the world is broken as a result of that. Ever since the garden, it, to the, now that we, when we turn on the news, something's gone wrong. But then to share the climax of this story that the author of this story is going to write himself into his own story so that he could rescue people. And then people need to know how it's all going to end. That for those who receive Christ, there is a restoration. There is a healing of this world. He says people need to know that full story. We've often dropped people into the middle of the story. When we see them, we already assume they know this. And we talk about Jesus. And we talk about sin. And they don't have any context whatsoever. It's like walking. You've all been there when you've walked into a movie at your, at your home. And everybody's watching it. And you're late. And you walk in and you have no idea what's going on. You may recognize some of the characters in the film, but you don't have any idea about the plot line. And it's not till the commercial where someone brings you up to date on the background of the story. So where you're at then makes sense. What we've done with the story is we've tried to provide a framework for you. It's not the only, and I don't even like to call it a presentation. It's really a conversation. Uh, no, you're never going to talk to two people the same way. And you're not really showing them dignity, as Oz Guinness says, if you use the same presentation with every single person because every single person is unique and has different needs. And so your conversation with them about the gospel is going to have various approaches. And so what we're pro trying to do at Spread Truth with the story is to provide you a framework of being able to share this story, but also being able to bring in all the other things in your life that you have learned about evangelism. I grew up knowing evangelism explosion and to this day I'm very appreciative for it. You may have been using other gospel presentations. We would say that's wonderful because there are going to be things that you use from that, but we're just proposing to you that you widen the angle because people this day and age do not know the story. And so some people you may engage, you may can start in the middle of the story because they have that background. For those who don't, you need to widen the angle. People need to know the story in which they're living. They need to know that story. They need to know how it all began. They need to know what's gone wrong. They need to know if there's any hope. And they need to know what the future holds. This is the story that governs the world. And we're called by God to deliver this story to people. And so at Spread Truth, what we've tried to be able to do over the years is to be able to provide a framework for you. And I love what Dr. Tim Keller says. He says, you need to share this story in such a way that makes their mouth water so that they wish what you were saying were true. Have you ever heard it that way? I've heard it shared sometimes when it can be pretty brutal. But have you shared it in such a way that makes their mouth water that when they walk away from what you're saying, they say, man, 
I don't agree with that. But if it were true, that's absolutely incredible. Well, one day, he was, Dr. Keller was actually speaking to a group of people in England, secularists who didn't know God at all, and he was presenting the gospel. And when he was finished, they came up to him afterward and they said, hey, listen, when you shared that, it made me wish Christianity were true, but I know it's not. He says, you mean you wish it were true? They said, the way you shared it, I wish it were true. Pascal says that. You need to share it in such a way that makes them desire it to be true. That means there's a responsibility on us not to just deliver it in bullet points. But deliver, to be able to deliver it in its full context. And so, Dr. Keller went on to share the story that he had shared with them. And he says, he began to share a story about a famous British author named Dorothy Sayers. Now, Dorothy Sayers, listen, now, Dorothy Sayers, back in the 1930s, was one of the first ladies who ever graduated from Oxford University. When she graduated, she became a famous murder mystery writer. And her novels, many of you maybe have read, uh, they're murder mystery novels. Some of them have been made into movies. Uh, and they all centered around this kind of quirky goofy, eccentric, single detective named Lord Peter Whimsey. Now, he was a bit odd, probably had a hard time getting along with people, but somehow he found himself in all these murder mysteries, and this detective somehow solved them. So she wrote about this guy. He was, like I said, single, not, you know, not married. And um, about halfway through her series about Peter Whimsey, she enters, an, enters a, a new character into the storyline. And the new character's name is a lady, and her name is Harriet Vane. Now, Harriet Vane in the storyline just happens to be one of the first ladies who ever graduated from Oxford. And when she graduated from Oxford in this storyline, she went on to become a murder mystery writer. Now, when she meets Peter, she doesn't like him at first. He got on her nerves. She, he just kind of annoyed her. But as time went on, uh, those barriers came down. She began to kind of appreciate him more, kind of like him more. And eventually they began to hang out. And you'll read in the stories there that they fell in love, have this blissful honeymoon. And in essence, she rescued him from his kind of odd behavior, and they all, and as the story ends, they all live happily ever after. Keller looks at his audience and said, what Dorothy Sayers did is that she looked into the world that she created, and she fell in love with the main character. But in order to rescue him, she had to write herself into the story. And then he said, and that's exactly what God did. And he told that audience, but God really wrote himself into the story. And what did he do? He put on a body. And he moved into the neighborhood. The God-man, who was willing to live on this earth 33 years of perfect life. A perfect life. And would go to a cross and he would die a perfect death. To provide us eternal life. When they heard that, they didn't immediately receive it, but it was, it was shocking to them how beautiful it was, and they came to him and said, oh, when you shared this, it made me wish it were true, but I don't think it is. He says, if we can get them there, then all the difficult questions that they will have about Christianity, is Christianity the only way, you know what I mean, uh, did Christ really rise from the dead? Is the Bible really true? He says all those questions will be much easier to answer because they will have desired it to be true. Remember when the disciples, having been on the road to Emmaus with Jesus, they didn't recognize him at first, but then this long journey with him, and the Bible says beginning with the books of Moses, he began to explain to them the big story. I'm kind of summarizing what was going on there. And when they finally got back to eat together, 
They recognized who he was. And then all of a sudden, Jesus disappears. And remember the statement that says, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures? So spread truth's desire in training and equipping and developing tools is for people to have the opportunity to share the big story of scripture, to be able to train them to share it in such a way that it's truthful, but it is the greatest story. It's a beautiful story. And I think sometimes we've lost the beauty of the story because we've delivered it like an outline, like bullet points. And so whether it be in print, or whether it be in a film, uh, be in an app, or be in a training, we're just trying to equip people. Because see, the vision of spread truth, the mission statement, the vision of spread truth is very simple. Spread truth exists so that all people everywhere will have access to the beauty of God's story. Spread truth exists so that all people everywhere will have access to the beauty of God's story. So in 2009, we did the booklet. We've just now recently updated it. And uh, God has been gracious to allow it to be in some different languages. Also in 2009, we were able, kind of, we were kind of ahead of the times back then of having the first, one of the online versions of the booklet where you can turn the pages and things like that. And again, God was very gracious to get it out to different, different places. Uh, and so uh, recently though, uh, things have kind of really uh, up, the, the, the bar has been set a little bit higher and we've been very blessed by being able to assemble a team to be able to deliver some things and give you some tools that are very, very practical and I think something you would never be ashamed to be able to share with an unbeliever. Uh, how many here have a cell phone? How many here have more than one cell phone? Anybody have more than one? Okay. Well, cell phones are everywhere and you'll see it in these couple next two or three slides here. Uh, people... <laughs> have cell phones, and you use them, and you do, not, do you not feel lost if you don't have your cell phone? Uh, if you leave somewhere and you don't have your cell phone, how many of you have turned around and gone back because you feel like, man, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to go crazy if I don't have my cell phone? Well, mobile technology around the world is crazy. Billions of cell phones are out there. Now, let me tell you a couple of stories of how prominent cell phones are talked to um, a missionary uh, fellow that was in New Guinea. He said to me, listen, I'm dealing with people in New Guinea who were just a year ago brought out of cannibalism, and they're walking around now with cell phones. Uh, Clay Smith, up at First Baptist uh, Matthews, North Carolina, I was talking to him not long ago. He said, listen, I was just over in Africa. These children don't know where their next meal is coming from, but they're walking around with cell phones. And so mobile technology is everywhere. And to think that we have the opportunity now to be able to globally reach the world in ways we never thought of before. And so one of the things that Spread Truth is doing is being able to provide tools for you for that phone that's in your pocket that will help you and aid you in being able to reach your neighbors, your family, friends, people that are across the ocean in different languages. Bring up the next slide there. Uh, you see that uh, one of our themes is, obviously, is the gospel everywhere. And you'll see on that app there that that's in uh, some language. I'm not quite sure. It may be Korean. It may be Chinese. I don't know exactly. But what Spread Truth has been able to do is to be able to provide you on your phone the ability to be able to share the gospel right now in 13 different languages. That means if you pull out your app and you said, I really would like to ask these worldview questions. How did it all begin? Really easy. Well, obviously we can do that in English, but it's in 13 different languages. So recently I was in New York City sitting down with a Korean man in Washington Square Park and he was having difficulty understanding these questions in English. I just hit the button, and boom, the, the worldview questions were there in Korean. 
And so he was able to understand them, and then we could converse some. You have the opportunity also to be able to have a film on there. Now, that film uh, is something that you're going to see here in a minute, but it's in 13 different languages. And what we've tried to do with the film is to contextualize it and customize it for the various cultures. That means when it comes back to us with one of our partners, Trans World Radio, who will do the voiceovers and the translations within the country, and we receive it. We received it in Arabic. Then we will sit down with our film and change the film to fit the culture. Meaning that you'll see in the film in a few minutes that they're kind of pointed skyscrapers. Well, when we did the Arabic, we changed that to make them dome buildings. Arabic, you read right to left instead of left to right. You'll see the books that open up in the English film. We had to have them open up the other way. We will go in with our composer in California, Grant Fonda, who just worked on... Uh, the Minions movie and uh, some other, you know, James Bond's movie. He's our composer, knows world music. He'll then go in and add layers of different music depending on the region. So when you send it to someone or you watch it with someone, it's like it's made and customized and contextualized specifically for them. And it's in your pocket. You have within your pocket or on a tablet the ability to share it with a population of over 3.2 billion people. And it's just right in your pocket. Next slide here. We'll go one more. And so we have the story film. And then you have, it shows you, view the story 2.0. That's the web app or your phone app. And as I was showing Fran this morning, it's the opportunity for you to be able to share it. So what if you said, hey, listen, I just met a person, had a great conversation. They're from mainland China. They live here in the States. How can I get that to them? All you would do is type in their phone number, boom, send it to them in their language. And what's crazy about it, as you begin sharing it, you then have the opportunity to have your own personal mapping on your phone that can show you wherever people are opening it up. And what an encouragement that is. Next slide, please. This here, we're getting ready to show you the story film. And let me give you a... This is an 800-hour project for 5 minutes and 50 seconds. God has blessed us to have a, just a tremendous animator. He's done stuff for the Emmys and Nickelodeon. He works for us. This film was designed for the unbeliever. And we knew that the unbeliever might trip up over the message. They may not like the, this message of truth, but we didn't want them tripping up over the medium in which it's been delivered. And so the film had to be right. The voice had to be right. The music had to be right. And when it's translated in all the different languages, it has to be contextualized. And it's there for you in your pocket to be able to share. Such as is when I was at the University of South Carolina not too long ago. Jeannie and I went on to campus and did the worldview questions. And we sat down with three students from Iraq. Had a wonderful conversation with them. Then I just pulled out my phone and said, hey, listen, what we just talked about, let me just show it to you in Arabic. And they watched it in their language. Uh, a few days later, I was at Clemson University, sat down with a young man from mainland China and said, hey, well, let's, let's just watch it here in, in Mandarin. And you can pull it out and you can watch it right there on your phone or right there on your tablet or send it to them. So this film here is designed for the unbeliever. And you have access to be able to share it or watch it. And so uh, I want you to pay close attention because this is the gospel in five minutes and 50 seconds that you can share with family and friends. There is only one story that answers life's most essential questions and gives a lasting sense of purpose and meaning. It's the story that inspires all other stories. It's the true story that defines every one of us. This is that story. How did it all begin? Like all stories, this one begins in the beginning with the author, who is God. He spoke everything into being. With a word, galaxies appeared with stars and planets. Earth was designed for life to flourish. Everything God made was gloriously good and breathtakingly perfect. The highlight of God's creation was the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. 
God entrusted everything he created to his beloved children, giving just one rule. They were not to eat fruit from a specific tree. They lived in loving obedience, worshiping God as their heavenly father, and enjoying perfect harmony with creation, each other, and God. Considering our world today, its obvious perfect peace didn't last. Turmoil, war, sickness, troubles. We each have our share. What went wrong? It started when a fallen angel named Satan grew jealous of God and determined to ruin the perfection of creation. Satan took the form of a serpent and enticed Adam and Eve to question God's goodness and rebel against his one rule. In disobedience, they ate the fruit, and peace unraveled, ushering in sin and death, which still plagues us today. If we are honest, we are very much like Adam and Eve. We all rebel against our Heavenly Father, making our hearts heavy with fear, guilt, and shame. Our bodies are weary with sickness, disease, and death. Earth is afflicted with storms, calamities, and disasters. Even worse, sin has separated us from God, causing a permanent divide, a miserable separation called hell. The fallout of sin has been catastrophic. It's inescapable with no way to fix it, leaving us all to wonder, is there any hope? The love that prompted God to create us also prompted Him to send a Savior who would set everything right again. As centuries passed, God shared exact details of the coming Savior's birth, life, and death. Everything in the Bible points to this rescuer. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth as God the Son to fulfill the promise. He was born miraculously as His mother was a virgin. Just like us, Jesus grew up and experienced life on earth. But unlike us, Jesus never sinned and always obeyed the Father. When Jesus was in his 30s, he began teaching all around Israel, pointing people to God's kingdom and performing many miracles. After a few years, he was wrongly accused and sentenced to an agonizing death on a cross. Jesus lovingly gave up his perfect life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind. He died a perfect death, taking our place, the innocent for the guilty. But the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Three days later, God brought Jesus to life again. Jesus defeated sin by dying on the cross and defeated death by rising from the dead. Today, Jesus sits at God's right hand as king and judge over all creation. This is the story of rescue God has authored. He invites us, through repentance and faith, to make his story of rescue the one we trust in and live from. When we do, everything changes. And now, what will the future hold? For everyone who trusts in Jesus alone for rescue, God has promised to restore your heart and set you free from sin's hold. Because God is loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, tender-hearted, and true. God has also promised to make all things new. One day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, forever free from sin. Everything that causes pain and sadness will be gone. God has also promised to be with us forever. The moment you trust in Jesus, your relationship with God is restored because Jesus has closed the divide sin caused. Getting to know this all-loving God starts today and continues forever. For God's story never ends. You can make God's story the foundation of your life even now by admitting your need for God's rescue. Asking forgiveness for your sin. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone to rescue you. Following Jesus in faith from this moment on. This is God's story. Will you make it yours? So that's in 13 different languages that you have access, that you can be able to share it with people.
via Facebook, via email, via text message, and it gets the gospel out. Uh, one last slide. I'm just going to show the analytics there. Right here, this was just taking a snapshot two days ago. And this you can have on your phone. And actually, it shows me at that moment that our guy took the shot of this, there were 10 people worldwide that were on the site there. And we actually have another screen that can show you the exact city they're watching it in in the country, so you can pray for them real time. And it showed me that day that already a thousand people had gone to the site in the last seven days, 9,400 people. And you'll see that that next uh, frame there, it says that within foreign languages in the last 24 hours, you'll see that 451, that's Arabic, people had gone to the site. So it's a chance we're just trying to get the gospel out. So that'll be the last slide I share. If you'll have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to just share in the last 10 or 15 minutes that we have. Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul. Walks into a city that was far different from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jewish congregation, Jewish population that was very familiar, obviously, with the Old Testament law, the Old Testament scriptures. And so when you would share the gospel there and Peter would preach, there were touch points that these people could understand. When, you get, when the Apostle Paul now gets to Athens, it's a totally different world. It's not a post-Christian world, it's a non-Christian world. They didn't say anything about Jesus. All different world religions are there. Idolatry is rampant. A lot different than it was for Peter when he preached in Jerusalem. And my friend Alvin Reed said, we no longer live in Jerusalem. We live in Athens. And we need to be able to share this story in its full context because people, again, don't understand. So the Apostle Paul walks into the city. He's there, and the Bible says that he, what he's going to do immediately is he's going to walk into the synagogue and preach Jesus and the resurrection, which is kind of interesting. I think it's really appropriate for us because the first thing he does, he, he goes to the group of people that at least he's familiar with, those people who would have somewhat of a basic understanding before he goes out into the Athenian population. And then he says he leaves there and he walks into the marketplace, which was called the Agora, which would be kind of our shopping district. Maybe you would refer to it as a city park. It's places where people would gather. So he left the synagogue and then he walked into the marketplace. And the Bible says he talked to whomever happened to be there, which I think is a challenge for us. I think what it's saying to us is, hey, listen, we have a message of the gospel to speak. We obviously have a responsibility to families and friends, our coworkers, the people that we are familiar with. And we all have those things. And we all fail at that, don't we, with the people that we're familiar with? I know that I really do. There's always a big gap in evangelism and a big gap in my own life of knowing what I ought to do and talking about evangelism and the actual doing of it. I think it's probably true for all of us. So I think that if we're going to be able to share the gospel, we have to be intentional about it. We have to have in our mind maybe what we're going to do or try to do maybe with neighbors and pray for neighbors or pray for coworkers. Here the Apostle Paul engages people that he was familiar with first, and then he happens to walk into the marketplace and just talk to whomever, and those would be people that he didn't know. And those would be people that you would be able to have conversations with with no prior relationship. It may be someone that you meet at a gas station. maybe may be someone on an airplane. It may be going into New York and walking into a park. Whatever. But Paul felt a responsibility to the people that he knew and to the people that he didn't know. Well, when he walks in there, he's obviously, as he engages the population there, he's going to be met with some resistance. The Epicureans and the Stoics, these people who had their different philosophies, were there, and they're going to kind of start to make fun of him as he begins to preach the good news of Christ. But before he gets to that message with them about Christ, you're going to see that he's going to have to widescreen this, and he's going to have to give them the big picture of Scripture, 
as he begins to be able to share the gospel with them. Because these people had all different ideas about what God was like because they had so many different gods. And we face that same situation in the world today. We see uh, Hinduism who has 700 million gods and then you have Allah in the uh, Islamic world and you have different religions all over the world. As Oz Guinness says, he says, listen, I think this is very important, like never before, we are called to defend and explain the character of God, clear up misunderstandings of who the God of the Bible actually is, and explain the Christian faith in ways that a post-Christian world needs it explained. If we don't, we lose people. We're going to have to explain the character of God and explain the Christian faith in a way that needs to be explained. And so the Apostle Paul, in the midst of a culture filled with idols, filled with all different concepts that they might have in their mind about God, is going to have to then explain and defend the very character of God to these people. And what he's going to do, he's going to have to go back to the beginning. So if you pick it up, so I've kind of given you just a summary of what's gone on thus far. And so in verse 22, he says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now here, where he begin, this is where he begins. He doesn't begin with Jesus. He begins with God, the creator. It says, God, who made the world and everything in it. He says, let me share with you about, in this story, this story that governs the world, that there is a God. Okay, there's one God who created everything that's in it. So he is the creator. And it says, being Lord of heaven and earth. That there's not only one God that's the creator of everything, but he's king. He's Lord. He rules. I think it's also always important when you begin to share the gospel and you start maybe with creation and you begin to share the very character of God is that he's a creator. As creatures, and that means we're dependent upon him. Everything you see in the world, he created. But he's not only the creator, he's king of the world. Because there's going to come a point when you're discussing, sharing with that person at the end of this conversation, whether it be in 15 minutes or five-year conversation, that they're going to have to surrender. You, because we're not just adding Jesus into our life. But that he is not only the creator, but he's king of the world. And most people don't want to submit. When you engage people, you're going to find that the treasures of their heart will eventually come out. And there will be a pressure point. Not that you're putting the pressure on, but the Spirit of God is putting the pressure on. And there needs to be a surrender that says, okay, I give up. You're the king, but you're a good king. You're a kind king, but you are the king of the world. So he says, listen, let me tell you about this God. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth, but he is Lord over the heavens. He's the creator. He is the king. But then he goes on to say, since uh, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. He's self-sufficient. He's independent. He's everywhere. And you'll have the opportunity to defend and show forth and display the very character of God as you're engaging people at the beginning of the story. Who's, this is the author of the story. He created everything. He's the king. He's a good king of the world. He doesn't need anything. He's everywhere. He's not served by human hands. He doesn't dwell just in a temple. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. But then he goes on to say, not only is he the creator and the king, but he makes a very interesting statement here. And I want to share with you, as you engage people, because some people, as they look at God, they may have... I didn't get to share with you a slide here, but we, they just showed the short story film in India. 20,000 people came out to watch the story film on this crazy new device that's out there. 1,000 people came to know Christ. And then they took the story film on the back of a truck, and they would put the screen up, and they would show it. And there was this group of people 
And the only place they could show it where there was enough light was right near a Hindu temple. And as they began to show the film in the Telugu language, they noticed that there was a man there that he began talking as the film was kind of contradicting everything the film said. So Pastor Rod heard that. And so after the film, he began to preach. And as he began to preach, every time he would say something, this man would speak against it. He closed the message, gave an invitation, and as he looked up, there was this man standing there. He said, weren't you the person that was? And basically told him he always wanted to have eternal life, that he had climbed the mountain there in India trying somehow to get to this God, but never could find the assurance. And that day, he came forward with his son. Got a picture of it there. And receive Christ as his Savior. In a world that thinks that they have to climb a mountain to get God, this passage says here, not only is he creator, not only is he king, not only is he everywhere, but he's very near. Look what he says. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Now listen to this. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. He's saying, people of Athens, let me just share something with you. This God has determined what city you're to live in, what street you're to live on, and what time period of the world that they're to be living in. And let me digress and say, he's done that for your neighbors. Your neighbors think they moved there because they just moved into town. So let's imagine, right now, each of us imagine our city blocks that we live on, our neighbors. We think, well, they moved in here, they moved into here. The Bible says that the king of this universe sovereignly declared what period of time in the world that they're to live. He's actually determined what boundaries that they're to live in, that what nation they're to live in, what city they're to live in, and actually what street they're to live in for one purpose. Why would God determine everything about this? Listen to this. That they should seek God. I love this. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each of us. For those who may have questions sometimes, well, how about people in other cultures whereby they don't have all the access? Let me just share with you. He's saying to them, he's nearer than you think. He's really, really near. He's so close you can re- find your way because he's, he, feel your way toward it because he's not very far from each of us. And God will do that to every single individual in the world because the Bible says they're without excuse. Let me just show, quote what um, Oz Guinness says. Listen to this. When God addresses the human heart, there's always enough light for those who desire to see. Yet, enough obscurity for those who do not wish to see. What makes the difference is the heart. When God addresses the human heart, there's always enough light for those who desire to see. Yet, enough obscurity for those who do not wish to see. What makes the difference is the heart. Your neighbors are there of sovereign decree and providence. Why? Why are your neighbors in your neighborhood? The Bible says they're there that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and, and find him because he's not very far away and he's placed you and I in the neighborhood. That's why he's not very far away. Now, he may reach them by not being very far away, by having us there, in some other cultures, it may be through a dream. It may be through the most unusual ways that we would have no idea about. But understand, every single individual, God is near. And they can feel their way toward him. And there comes a point, and I close. Again, I quote Oz Guinness in this. He talks about three different types of points. There's a meeting point when you engage people, or God maybe engages them. And there's a pressure point whereby, as you folks share with them, or as the Apostle Paul shared here, that the treasures of a person's heart will come to the surface. And God really begins to deal with them. And then he talks about a danger point. And he actually references Frederick Nietzsche on this, because Frederick Nietzsche says there's times in people's philosophies when they know they're backed into a corner like a boxer. They 
they're done for. And what they're doing is try to weave off the ropes. They try to dodge all the different arguments, but they know they're done for. He says, that's what people do sometimes. They've got their philosophies, but when it comes down to it and they're caught, they're trying to weave their way out. Guinness says there's a danger point in the sense that there comes a time that the people of Athens, and they heard this, and the people that you share with, that they come when they see the truth, they know the truth, he says, and are responsible for the truth. All the fig leaves have been stripped away. The alibis are gone, he says, and they're fully responsible at this decisive moment for truth. And he goes on to say, quoting another author, the day of judgment, you remember what the Bible says that they're without excuse? That's a courtroom that's perpetually going on. And people know in their hearts when God speaks to them. They see the truth, they know the truth, they're responsible for the truth, wherever they are in the world, they know it. However way God does it. And they're in the courtroom right there, the court's in session. And they know they're totally responsible for God. They're just responsible now. They either kneel to him or click their heels and go their way. And what happened to the people of Athens as I close? Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of, of the dead, some mocked. They clicked their heels and they went their way. They're responsible now. But others said, hey, we will hear you again about this that sounds pretty interesting. It's kind of that pressure, but God's working. He's starting to, they're not quite ready yet. You'll meet those people. You'll meet some and say, you're crazy. Some will say, hmm, never heard this before. Let's talk again. So Paul went about from among their midst, but some joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with him. Some mocked. Some said, I've got to hear this again. And some believed. Now all responsible before God. The story. It began long before you got out here, and it'll continue long after we're gone. Your character's in it. So are all your friends and neighbors. You have an opportunity to invite them to know the God of this universe. And I trust that you will, and that we'll all be more sensitive to this call of taking this beautiful story to the world. And I trust this morning that if you've never received this message here, you've now heard it. Hopefully, you've understood it. And as God works in your heart, there'll be a time when you fully understand it. It will click. And it's at that moment you're now responsible without excuse. That will be for every individual some way in the world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Please help us to take this beautiful gospel to the world. Help us to have the boldness of Paul. Father, I pray that will share and be sensitive to people, share it in ways that they connect with. Help us to be faithful in sharing this good news of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. Uh, perhaps you're here and... Um, we, as we started this series last week, and Jerry has done a great job in continuing in this life on mission, uh, focusing on the Great Commission, that every believer has a responsibility and a privilege to be invited into the story of God's redemption of a world, that we work with God in that. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you have um, just shirked that responsibility. And, uh, and dropped the ball there. And there, you, you've taken for granted the people that live on your street uh, and, and just had no idea this Acts 17 passage. And they're there at God's divine appointment so that they might grope toward God because they see God in you, their neighbor, living among them. Uh, we want to help you there. We want to put resources in your hands to be able to, to share the gospel, to live in such a way that points people to him. And uh, that's why I invited Jerry to come share with us today. That's why we put things like the story booklet in your hand and the app and the film and, and, uh, and three circles and all those things because we want to push you that way. So if the Lord has maybe somebody particularly on your mind and your heart today, 
uh, and you want to just before the Lord commit uh, to take that responsibility, to take that privilege and share with them, then uh, we want this to be a time where you just commit yourself to the Lord. Perhaps you're here and you have never received Christ as your Savior. Um, you've maybe wrestled or questioned or um, been skeptical, whatever the case. But today you saw and you heard clearly the gospel. And God did make it clear to you. And you know you are responsible. And for the first time ever in your life, this news sounds like the best news that could ever possibly be true. I stand before you and I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt this is true. And I would just encourage you by faith to receive the forgiveness that's offered to you through Jesus Christ. If you need help with that, uh, we will be glad to help you in understanding that. If this needs to be an ongoing conversation with you, we'll be glad to come alongside you and answer questions. Whatever the Lord is dealing with you on, uh, please don't stay at a distance. Uh, come to us. I'll be seated down here on the front. Uh, there are others in this room that would love to, to talk with you as well. But I want to lead us in a word of prayer and just challenge each of us uh, to respond in faith as we've been challenged with the Great Commission today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, we thank you that you love us. Lord, I thank you that you are indeed restoring your perfect creation. You're doing it for your own glory. But God, rather than hoarding that to yourself or even rejecting and refusing, uh, Lord, our need, Lord, instead, you sent a rescuer to us. And then, God, you invited us to join you uh, in that restoration. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to your people here today. God, that we would respond. God, that we would respond by faith even when we have questions. And God, that we would trust you. And Lord, that we would step out in bold obedience for your own glory, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You respond as God leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.